Let us look back to the portion we read. We have read in the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 12. Let us look at verse 5. If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how would you do in the floodplains of the Jordan? <coughs> we want to look at this portion today as follows. First of all, we put, the, put this in its context. And um, looking there at the great test of faith that uh, confronted the prophet Jeremiah. And then secondly, the response of uh, Jeremiah to this test. You have that um, from verse 1 right up to verse 4 or 5. And then thirdly, God's response to Jeremiah, and that in our text particularly. These three strands of thought and the test that confronted Jeremiah, his response to that test, and God's approach, God's reaction to him in that order. the test that confronted Jeremiah. After the battle of Megiddo in 609 BC, when uh, good king Josiah was uh, killed, the land of Judah declined politically and spiritually. And uh, the teachings of men like Jeremiah were then resisted. And not only was the teaching of Jeremiah resisted, but he came up against persecution from his own people, his own relations in the district in which he had been brought up, the district of Anathoth. And that was very bitter to his sensitive soul that his own people should rise against him. But you see that uh, if you look back to chapter 11 and I think verse 9. And the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. And they have gone after other gods and served them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I have made with them and um, (coughs) the conspiracy was against the the Lord's cause and the conspiracy was against Jeremiah himself by his own people so as that was even so that was the fact that those who were persecutors of Jeremiah were prospering under God's hand and um, Jeremiah himself was facing 
affliction and soreness. And that caused a soreness with Jeremiah. That was the particular test of faith with them. It's the age-old question of the concerning the, the righteousness of God's providence in his dealings with the wicked and his dealings with the righteous. The question that arises, why do the wicked uh, prosper? And why do I, the righteous and the, the servant of God, why do I come up against such opposition? And that is the test that we have. It's a test, as I've said, that you find in other parts of Scripture also. You find it with uh, Abraham. The providences of God and the promises of God seem to run contrary the one to the other. The promises of God that he was going to have a son, and yet the providences, the years went by, and with each passing year the test became more severe. Is this promise going to be realized? But we find that with Jeremiah, with, with, with Abraham, against hope, he believed in hope. He trusted in the word of God. And we know that that was what prospered in the end. You see the same thing, of course, with the Lord Jesus Christ. The test that was there, even on the cross, the test that um, everything seemed to speak that God was opposed to him. He lost the conscious comfort of a father's presence there. He was bearing the wrath and curse of God due to his people as sinners. Everything, and the enemies were saying, call upon your God if he will help you. In other words, he was, he, he, he's not with you. Everything seemed to be, seemed to be supportive of them that God had turned his back upon, but he held on to the promise. By faith, the promise was there, particularly in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my servant whom I will uphold. The Lord clung on to that promise, despite the providences, and that was what prevailed. That is the way it should be with you and me too also when we are faced with a test, when the providences and the promises seem to contradict one another. We look to God and his faithfulness. And yet you find in Scripture, you find in Scripture those, the example of David in Psalm 73. He had the same problem, the wicked prospering, and he himself, faced with adversity and he says my feet, my footsteps almost slipped but the Lord kept him showing us that the blood of Jesus Christ even with frail believers the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing from sin and iniquity but it is a test and whenever the test is there the enemy of our souls would come in 
and he will seek to insinuate his own evil thoughts into the situation. And that makes it a difficult test indeed. Well, the test that was there then with Jeremiah. And then secondly, we have um, the response that we have from Jeremiah himself to this. First of all, he pleads his own integrity. (coughs) See how you get that in verse 3. The words of Jeremiah in 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 the face of this situation, But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. And you have tested my heart. You have tested my motives in this matter. You have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. In other words, you have tried my heart, you have tried my motives, and you know that my motives are pure. In the face of all these taunts and persecutions and oppositions, It's a wonderful thing that the believer can come in such a situation and come to the Lord himself, pleading his integrity. And that you have with Jeremiah. We noticed it with the psalmist in the psalm that we sang in Psalm 17. Thou hast tied my heart in the face of the taunts and persecutions of the world. He could claim that his heart was right. Oh, he acknowledges as a sinner before God. But in, the partic- in this particular situation, he can come and plead his integrity. That's the first response that you have with Jeremiah then. And then there's, uh, there's, this, there's also, he draws near to God with this question. This question of the age-old problem, why is the wicked <coughs> prosper and the ungodly suffer? And isn't it a wonderful thing that believers can have this familiarity with their God in such matters? That they can bring their situations before them. Look at how you find it in uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, for example. I hope I've got the right reference. Chapter 43, verse 26. The Lord himself speaking, put me in remembrance, let us contend together. Put me in remembrance, he says, let us contend together. Take your case that you may be acquitted. The Lord himself encouraging his people to have this familiarity with them in issues in his providence that uh, puzzle them. To bring the matter to the Lord in their transparency. It's a wonderful condescension on the part of the Almighty that He should allow, that He should permit us to come with such familiarity towards Him in such situations. <clears throat> That's another response there. He pleads His integrity and He draws near to the Lord with the situation. And then thirdly, notice 
Notice the words that you have at the very beginning of the chapter. Righteous are you, O Lord. Acknowledging there that God is righteous, that God is, God is right in every providence that he makes to pass over me. Everything in his providence is always right. Now that's a good response from Jeremiah. It ought to be a response from you and me in such situations also. What he is saying there is, <clears throat> well, you have it in the Catechism. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. He is good in all his ways. The believer is to come before the Lord in such providences saying, Help me to discern a father's hand in these providences. Help me to realize that there's a father's hand behind these providences, however puzzling, that I might realize the faithfulness of the one who is behind them, who is righteous in his dealings with me. Help me to prove in my own experience, in a walk of faith, that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. That's the way that he draws near. In that spirit, he comes to the Lord. So that when he comes pleading his case before the Lord, he doesn't come with a point, with a finger, accusing God. <clears throat> this is not right. He's asking answers from God, yes. But he's asking an answer from God as one who is righteous, and he's asking, and with one whom, whom he's permitted to be familiar, he's asking the question in order that he might have an answer to give to others who claim that his God is not righteous, and that he might have an answer to give to his own heart. His own heart, there's things in our own hearts that say to us in such situations, this is not fair. Give me, he's seeking, he's seeking, coming near to the Lord in a spirit then, righteous art thou, making all providences work together for good. Help me to discern a father's hand in them. Help me that I might um, come not accusing thee, thee, but help me to come seeking an answer in a right spirit to give to others who accuse me and accuse you, accuse the living God of being unfaithful, and to give an answer to my own heart. Where's, what wrong thoughts arise concerning thee there. That's the spirit in which he comes in prayer to the Lord then. The response of Jeremiah to his situation. And then we come to our text. God's response to Jeremiah. There's five. If you have run with a footman and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which they tr you trusted, they, they, they wearied you, then how would you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Now see what's happening there. There's a, a 
There's some warning there, first and foremost, and there's some encouragement there. A warning not to become faint-hearted in the face of these tests. And well, there's a warning and there's an encouragement, a warning against becoming faint-hearted and an encouragement to continue to be stout-hearted in the face of these tests. He has shown a measure of stout-heartedness and righteous art thou, O Lord. Give me an answer but that I might give to others and that I might say to my own heart. But he's not coming accusingly. He's uh, speaking uh, the Lord is saying to continue in the path of being stout-hearted, the Lord is warning against becoming faint-hearted. You see, what's been, been brought and the the, the test, the, the, the words, the words of uh, um, the words there in verse five. If you have run with the footman, the footman—that's a race where he would might have been he's running with equals, as it were. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you in the easy test, then how is it going to be when the test becomes more severe? If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And, and the other way it's put is, uh, and if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you. Then how would you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? The floodplain of the Jordan was where was rough thickets and where wild beasts would be, which would uh, be very difficult to contend with. How are you going to how are you going to fa- how are you going to face that test, the greater test of the wild beasts and the thickets of the Jordan, when you when when you're having difficulty with the In the land of peace, in the land where in the land where there's not these thickets, where there isn't, where the ground is straight forward, where, the, where there's level ground, and if you, if you have difficulty in the level ground, how is it going to be with the thickets of Jordan when the test becomes more severe? So it's, it comes to the, it comes to it that, as what I've just said the. Continue in the path of being stout-hearted or a warning against becoming faint-hearted in the face of the test. You fail the lighter test, how are you going to manage the greater test? And what God is saying there is these tests are meant to develop Christian character. These tests are meant to develop Christian character. And the tests that God gives us are graduated. He doesn't put us into the, the deep end of the pool as it were right at the beginning. He puts us people through difficult courses. They be more and more severe, more and more testing as they go on. But he doesn't do it with the intention of oppressing them. He does it with the intention of doing them good. The tests will involve 
very often would involve suffering. You find uh, Paul giving the answer to that in one of his epistles. To you it is given not only to believe on him, to believe on Christ, but to suffer for him. It's given to you. It's the gift from God. The sufferings are a gift from him for your good. That's how we are to see it. That the Lord brings these tests for the good of his people. That they might that their faith might be refined in the lighter test, more refined in the greater test, and so on. That they are being that it's it's the Lord is preparing them for the house of many mansions into which nothing unclean can enter. It's a graduated course of refining with the intention of bringing them ultimately to that house of many mansions into which nothing unclean can enter. The Lord is good. The Lord is good in all his purposes. And that is what, that is the, that's the teaching that we have. And um, sometimes that is applied to the swellings of Jordan we often hear of that's applied to the death of the Christian well it's a possible application uh, because that can be a great test when the enemy of our souls comes at us and says that we have nothing nothing but self nothing but self-righteousness Oh, that we would have been found in the lighter test that have preceded that greater one to have been faithful so that when that great time comes faith would stand. We would be strong not in ourselves but in the God who is faithful. The God who has promised I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. The God who has promised my grace is sufficient for me, whether it's the lighter test or the more severe test. The God who has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. And that is what we are to prove ongoing as we go on. Notice just in closing one other thing how the Lord's providences work not just in the in the lives of his own people in, in particular situations but how that is working into a greater picture and that's why we write in verses 14 to 17 Israel or Judah well they have come into hard times because of their sin. But there's going to come the time when Israel and Judah will be brought back. Israel, Israel, Israel brought into hard times as our enemies, Moab, Edom and so on, would be allowed to oppress us. But the time will come when Israel will be brought back and we're looking forward to that, a great day. When they shall look to him whom they have pierced and mourned for him. And not only will there be a blessing to Israel that day, but to those who have been oppressors of Israel, if they will look to her God. The promise 
that if the casting away of them was the reconciling of the Gentiles, what shall the receiving of the people's life from the dead? That Israel would be a made a blessing to the world. What I'm trying to get at is this. These providences that pass over us, they might appear to us so great, uh, they're, they're just... Everything is working to this great consummation in God's plan. Everything in God's plan is working to the great day when he shall bring his people to be with himself. They shall enter into the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. Sometimes we can see how great events are part and partial of that process in God's hand leading to that ultimate beautiful goal. But it's not just the great events that are leading to it. The small events in your life and mine, these tests of faith in your life and mine, are part and parcel of the procedure of all things working together to that ultimate end. How great is our God. If you have run with a footman and they have wearied you, how shall it be then in the swellings of Jordan? May the Lord bless to us the meditation. Let us pray. <coughs> Almighty God, Thou art making all things work towards that great purpose that is determined from the unbeginning. We pray for a discernment more and more of thine hand in every providence. We see that providence as a tapestry from the underneath, as it were. We see the rough side of it. We find it difficult outwardly to see how all things are, how the Shatpatra how it's all working together to a glorious conclusion. But thou seest it from the top, from the surface. Thou seest the design. We pray for grace that we might behold, not just with the natural eye, but with the eye of faith, and that we would realize the beauty and the symmetry of all providences small and great, that are part and partial of our experience in this world, working in thine hands to the glory, greater glory of thy holy name and the good of thy people. And thy blessing upon us as we sing your parting song, take away all iniquity, love us freely. In Jesus' name, Amen. Psalm 147 <coughs> and verses 1 through to 7 <coughs> Praise ye the Lord for this good praise to our God to sing. 
but is pleasant and to praise is a comely thing. God doth build up Jerusalem and he is alone that dispersed of Israel doth gather into one. Through to verse 7, the Lord lifts up the meek and casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord and give him thanks on harp his praise is sound. Praise ye the Lord.